Okay, we are in Daniel chapter 2, finishing up Daniel chapter 2. And as a reminder, what had happened in Daniel chapter 2 was that the king had a dream and he wouldn't reveal what his dream was to the to those who could interpret dreams. They had to tell him what the dream was as well as the interpretation. He got very upset with them when they couldn't do it and he threatened to kill them all. And Daniel and his three friends went into a, a prayer time and Daniel was given the interpre- both the, the interpretation and uh, understanding of what the dream was. He told the king and during that uh, that time of interpretation, let's pick it up in verse 44. This is concerning the divine kingdom that would come as a result after after Babylon, uh, after Medo-Persia, after Greece, and after Rome. It says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all the kingdoms, but it itself will endure. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future, so the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. So Daniel speaks of a kingdom that is going to come, that is going to be built without hands, and what he's speaking about is the messianic kingdom. We are not in that kingdom now because the church doesn't, doesn't crush anyone politically. And, and uh, uh, that is something that is never going to, to lack. But that, that will come when the time of the Gentiles is complete. And we know that the time of the Gentiles is a period in which we still live. And uh, uh, that will, will be complete at the second coming of the Messiah. But now the king is so impressed by this, we see the promotion of Daniel. And he had promised that anyone who could tell him what the dream was and its interpretation will be promoted. So look in Daniel chapter 2, verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present an offering and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon, while Daniel was at the king's court. So remember, this is just Daniel's second year of school. He's a young man, and uh, uh, this then happens, and it says that when King Nebuchadnezzar heard and saw this, he was so impressed. And remember, this is a monarch who controls the world, he falls on his face and he does homage to Daniel, which is not unusual for a polytheistic uh, a worshiper in, in, in uh, polytheism. To fall before the person doesn't mean that he regards the person as a god, but he re- regards him as a representative of a very strong god. And then he gives orders to present to Daniel, to present to him an offering and fragrant incense. So he now gives an order to present to Daniel an offering and fragrant incense as if he were a god. Now remember, Daniel is just a young man in school and here is the monarch who rules the world 
and he says, offer up to him an offering. Daniel's not in a position to say, no, don't do that. Very often the world will misinterpret what we tell them, what we speak. And I've seen this sort of thing. You know, when I was a, a graduate student, there was, a, there was another, there was a postdoc, an Indian postdoc, and uh, um, he and his wife were at the university there. She, she stayed at home, and, and uh, he was a postdoc in the chemistry department. And one day I was talking with him, and he, he was a little bit older. I would say that uh, at the time he was in his mid-30s, which was kind of old for a postdoc. And he told me the reason that he had come to the U.S., his primary reason was to see American doctors because his wife was unable to bear children. And they had gone to the doctor and the doctor told him that it is unlikely that your wife will ever be able to bear children. So I don't know what prompted me to do this. I was a lot bolder in those days. And I said to him, you bring your wife to church, the brothers will pray for her and she'll have a child. And I said this to him, and, and so he said, okay, we'll come. So he came to the church. We, we brought them with us that following Sunday morning. And so they came with, with Shireen and, 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 uh, and me to, to church, and um, the brothers prayed for her. And uh, after they prayed, you know, we, I didn't feel anything in particular, but about two months later, it turns out she's pregnant. So he wants to give all this money to the church. He thinks that in some way his giving money will somehow appease our God and make everybody happy. And I told him, that's not the way it works. God just did this. God just wanted to bless you and God just did this. And uh, um, uh, so, so he misinterpreted some of the things that had gone on. Uh, and, and again, he didn't change from his Hinduism. In fact, when I had gone to pick them up that morning that we were going to be going to church, she was burning incense to her gods, they'd set up in their little closet where she had many of the gods, and they'll add Jesus to that. That's no problem. You can add Jesus to that. And so for Indians, it's, it's really no problem. And, uh, um, and you see that even today. And this is exactly what's happening to King Nebuchadnezzar. This is not a conversion by King Nebuchadnezzar. We will see that in, in a couple of chapters. Uh, this is just adding the God of Israel among his, his other gods. Because God is actually very clear in Isaiah 43, verses 10 through 12. He's very clear on what a person needs for saving faith. And that's that the God of Israel is the only God. And that, that uh, uh, the God of Israel is the, one who is the one who is the Savior. In other words, it's not by works. So that's in Isaiah uh, 43, verses 10 through 12. So that's not just a New Testament concept. Not at all. That was very much aware, they were very much aware of that in the Old Testament. But, so Nebuchadnezzar does this, and he then goes on and he promotes Daniel, just as he said he would have a promotion. He promotes Daniel. And so Daniel gets promoted, and he is, he is, uh, um, it says, then the king in verse 48 promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. So Daniel all of a sudden becomes a very wealthy man. Remember, he's just in his second year of college there, in, 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 the, in the school there, and he becomes a very wealthy man, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. So he's made ruler over the entire province and chief prefect. He is now gone 
from being student to being president of the Bible college. That's what he is. He has been just brought because the monarch, I mean, we know Nebuchadnezzar to be impulsive. He just says things. You know, whoever doesn't tell me the dream, I'm going to have them uh, uh, torn limb from limb and turn their house into a public latrine. I mean, it's a decree. So now he takes the student and makes him head of the head of the school there. And he makes him chief prefect. So Daniel is brought up to a very high position and he's made extremely wealthy. In doing this, Daniel saved all the wise men of Babylon that would have been killed by that king's decree and were en route to being killed. Daniel saves them all. So they never in Babylon come against Daniel. I mean, they recognize what Daniel has done for them. They don't care much for his three friends, uh, 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 for Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They don't care much for them, but they have great respect for Daniel. It's not until he gets into Persia that people come against him who didn't know what he had done for all the wise men in Babylon and didn't care for what he had done for all the wise men in Babylon by saving them. But he is now given many great gifts. And this is what you will see. This is one of the messages of Daniel. One of the patterns you will see is the exaltation of the Jews into whatever society they are living. You don't see them leading these, the, uh, uh, these countries. You don't see that. And today, to this day, you don't see it. But what you see is their influence in the highest parts of government, in the highest parts of finance. You see it. Remember Barack Obama. Here's an African-American who has, who has David Axelrod and, and Rahm Emanuel. I mean, has these Jewish men advising him. This is, still happens to this day. The Jews have great influence in government and great influence in finance. And you see this wherever you go. I just got back from Australia. And many of my meetings were with the leading Jewish families in Australia. And I'd tell them. I'd say, tell me your story. Tell me your story. How did your family end up here in Australia? And either they were fleeing shortly before World War I or they were fleeing shortly before World War II and, and uh, uh, they ended up in Australia and within a generation, within 30 years, they went from being new immigrants in those societies to being leading families, leading financial families and, and, and uh, political families within that society. Really amazing the way you see the Jewish people come up in the world. But it's exactly what God promised. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, He promises that He will do this. He will do this with these people. He promises. He says, I'm going to give you the ability to make wealth. And it's amazing. These people come in as immigrants. 20, 30 years later, they're leading families and nations in which they came in as immigrants with nothing. I said, tell me, how did your family make this money? They, 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 they came to Australia with nothing. One guy said that uh, uh, he, 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 saw, he saw women going and, and, and uh, um, they would, they would uh, uh, kill their chickens. They would pluck their, chi- they would pluck their chickens. And, and uh, um, so he just started a business where he would do chicken plucking. And it rose to, to all these women didn't want to pluck chickens anymore. There was this Jewish kid that would do it for them. And so he started making all this money and he was making more than his father who was just a common laborer and, then, and, he, and, and, uh, and the family business just grew from that. 
And you just see this ability to make wealth. You see the same thing today. But what we are about to see also along with that comes this. And you see the same thing to this day. Is that as they start moving up very rapidly into leading roles in finance and leading roles in influence in government, there is a resentment against the Jews for that activity. What God has blessed them with, and He said in Deuteronomy chapter 8, I will do this. I will give you ability to make wealth. He never said that to other people. He said that to the Jewish people. He said that to them, and then He says, He, he, he shows the pattern of what's happening, and then there will be resentment for this. So that's what we're about to see. But Daniel now, what he does is he shows us this pattern in, in, for Daniel, is he shows this pattern where as he brings them up, they will then look out for other Jews in that society. So, what's about to happen, remember, this is just the second year, it says in, in, in Daniel chapter 2, at the start, this is the second year of Nebuchadnezzar, there's only been one attack on Jerusalem where he brought some of the key young people of the, the, uh, the nobility. And so he brought some of the key young people, Daniel and his three friends among them, and what he's showing us is that they are to look out for others because there's going to be two more attacks on Jerusalem. The second attack, he's going to bring 10,000 artisans. And the third attack, he is, this is over, over a, a, an 18-year period, he's going to absolutely wipe out Jerusalem and take everyone who was there captive then to Babylon. Daniel and his three friends become very wealthy and they are to look out for others and pave the way for their protection. And this is what you see as you see them excelling in societies, to this day, they look out for other Jews within that society. This is what I was seeing within Australia. I met with all these very wealthy Jewish families, and they're all looking out for each other. And then the other thing they do is they're funding money back into Israel to this day. Those families in Australia who become very wealthy are putting money back into Israel to this day. And you see them underwrite. You're going to see the same thing in, in, in uh, this pattern as Daniel goes to Persia. Before they, they come back, the, the Persian Jews are going to underwrite the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Same patterns exist till today. You go to any campus in Israel and you will find, you'll see like the Los Angeles building, the New York City building. This is where they've gone to cities in the United States, raised money for the building of buildings on these campuses in Israel. To this day, this is the way it's done. And you see this pattern. But they are looking out for one another. And so he makes request. He says to the, the king of Babylon, who's just showering these gifts upon him, he says, by the way, I have three friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and I'd like them to be appointed alongside me. So the king says, sure. And he appoints these three over the administration of the province of Babylon. So they're not to Daniel's level, but Daniel now has them working amongst him. And so he can even plan more, uh, uh, more efficiently to care for these other Jews in Babylon and the Jews that are going to be coming in these two second waves. Let's turn to Daniel chapter 3. Now, Daniel chapter 3, it doesn't give us the date of Daniel chapter 3, but the Septuagint does. So, so the Septuagint is, a, is, a, is a, uh, a translation of the Old Testament, and it's several thousand years old. 
So it's an early dated document. The Septuagint tells us that Daniel chapter 3 is in the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. What does that mean? It means that Nebuchadnezzar, this is now after the third attack on Jerusalem, where masses of Jews have now been taken into captivity in Babylon. By this time, Daniel is very high up in government. Daniel and his three friends are very high up in government now, and they are very well situated to make things comfortable for these masses of Jews that are coming in. Nebuchadnezzar the king, verse 1 of Daniel chapter 3, made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, and the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. Okay, so Nebuchadnezzar, this is after he's built, after he, he's uh, overcome the Jerusalem, he sets up a statue which is not that unlike the statue that, that Daniel had described that he saw in his dream except he made it all out of gold. That means it's a gold-plated statue. It's, it's 60 cubits by 6 cubits. So a cubit is a foot and a half, 18 inches. So that means it's 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. So it's much taller than it is wide. So it's, it's, it's like this spire. I mean, it's, 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 and he set it up on a plane in Dura so that it really stands out against, against the background there. And, and uh, uh, it talks about being uh, six, 60 cubits by 6 cubits. The reason it talks about 60 and 6 is because they, they, they used a base 6 system in, in uh, Babylon rather than we use a base 10 system because we have 10 fingers, but there's nothing special about a base 10 system other than we have 10 fingers. Some cultures use a base 5 system, which is... For one hand, some cultures use a different base system. Theirs was a, <clears throat> was a six-base system, uh, uh, the, 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 this hexakis system. So, so that's why it's talking in these, speaking in these sixes. And it says that Nebuchadnezzar had invited everybody. But interestingly, Daniel is not among them. We have no idea why Daniel is not among them. Maybe Nebuchadnezzar said to Daniel, you can stay back because he knew Daniel wouldn't like what was going to take place there. Or maybe Daniel was off, you know, serving the, the king in, in, in some other capacity. But you see that, that, uh, um, that Daniel wasn't among them, but it turns out his three friends, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, uh, uh, were among them. And so he invites everybody, including the judges, including everybody, all the leaders, and this was just for a, uh, a dedication of the image. This is what they were told. They were going to dedicate the image. Nothing wrong to have images, even in Israel. Not, nothing was wrong with that. In fact, they had images of cherubs in the temple. They had 3D statues of cherubs. They also had 2D images of the cherubs on the walls. Uh, uh, God had had Moses set up the, the image of a serpent, in the wilderness that, that they were to look to 
and uh, uh, if, if they had been bitten by a serpent, and then they would be saved if they looked to this. But what was not allowed was the worship of these images. When they started worshiping the images, uh, they had to destroy the images. So when that serpent that God had told them to set up was being worshipped, one of the kings, I believe it was Hezekiah, destroyed that image because the people started to worship it. They were never to worship these images. But they, there was nothing wrong with, with their being images. This is why, you know, it doesn't bother me a lot that Catholics set up images as long as they're not worshipping them. And I think most of them don't worship the image. It doesn't particularly bother me. But I know it bothers some people. It doesn't particularly bother me. Uh, uh, because in Israel, they were allowed to have images. They were not, though, to worship them. And they were not to make an image that was something that resembled God. So this was just to a dedication. So nothing wrong with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego going to a dedication of an image that the king had set up. And then it says, in verse 4, there's a surprise. It says, Then the, the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a blazing fire. Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So he invites them to a dedication. They all get out there and he says, Psych, you all got to worship this image now. So the herald proclaims that when you hear this music, everybody is to worship. Fall down immediately in worship. And if they don't, they're going to be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And they had the furnaces right there. So you could look and see the furnaces. Now, the furnaces, they, they, they were very thin on the top where the smokestack was and where the entry was for the smokestack. And then they would expand out. And then at the base, there was a small doorway opening that you could go in ultimately and clean out the, the, the ashes from the furnace. But they would add material from the top. So there was this ramp generally that was built uh, uh, with earth under it, keeping up the ramp, and it was very high. And so it would be maybe like 20 feet high going up. And then you would add things from the top into this furnace. And so he says, oh, and by the way, if you don't fall down and worship... You're going in that furnace. Now remember, he's a very hasty monarch. I mean, he can do whatever he wants. And he is a monarch. He doesn't have to obey the laws of the land like they did in Persia. He himself is above the law. And so this is what, what all of a sudden they're confronted with. And so, so now Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, who are among them, find themselves all of a sudden in this situation where they're being asked to worship this this, uh, th this image that's been set up. And remember, the primary reason why they've been taken into captivity, the primary reason is because of idol worship. The primary reason why Israel is in captivity in Babylon, while, 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 uh, Judah, why Judah is in, is in captivity, and the, the greater portion of Israel had been taken by the Assyrians into captivity, the primary reason was idol worship. And that's why you see, after that 70-year captivity, 
when they came back into the land after this time, when they come back into the land, you never see idol worship being a problem among the Jewish nations. Jewish nation. Never again do you see it. You see plenty of idol worship before this captivity in Babylon. After Babylon, never do you see idol worship as a nation among Israel. They are very, very careful about that. In fact, Jews in particular are extremely sensitive about idol worship. And it's something they avoid at all costs. And so when they set up the Mishnaic law with the Talmud and the Mishnah, they have many, many rules to make sure that they guard against idol worship. It got them in big trouble in that first captivity, and they know it, and it was never a problem again. So people who say, well, Jews were, were idol worshiping. Not after that first captivity. Not after that first diaspora. Never again did they do that. And in fact, having Jews in the body of Christ, having Messianic believers among Gentile believers can keep Gentile believers from falling into idol worship because you will find Messianic believers extremely sensitive about that sort of thing, coming from a Jewish background. And so, so they, were, they were particularly careful about this. Now in verse 8, For this reason at that time Chaldeans, Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and they said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, and the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They have not served your gods or worshipped the golden image which you have set up. Okay, so, it was for this reason, in verse 8, for this reason at that time, for this reason, for the reason concerning the worship of this idol, at that time, so this is not weeks or months later, at that time, same time, the Bible is very specific, it tells us exactly when, it was still while they were there, on that plain of Dura, during this dedication, in which they were all of a sudden told to start bowing down and worshipping this idol, that Nebuchadnezzar had set up in this polytheistic society. And the worship of this idol will bring them subservient to the laws of this land. And what you will find is that we find in, within, within the uh, uh, nation of Israel, within the nation of Israel and among these people, you will find that what God is teaching in this, in this book of Daniel is that as you become part of other nations, as you assimilate, you are not to take on their gods, but you are to remain separate regarding their gods. You can take on their jobs, you can work in their society, you can become one with their society and assimilate in that way, but you are not to take on the gods of those foreign nations. That's what he's teaching them, and that's what he teaches us. And he teaches us to be careful of it. And so, in verse 8, it's the, the, it's the Chaldeans, or the Chaldeans, that are the ones who brought the charge against the Jews. So remember, there's many people there, many people from other nations are there. But it's the Chaldeans, the local people, are coming against these Jews. And remember, if everybody is prostrate, fallen down, worshipping, three guys standing up, these are, are going to stand out. 
I mean, you're going to see them. I mean, there's nowhere to hide. And so it wasn't like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego had to reason for a period of months to decide how they were going to walk in this thing. The decision for them was already made. I mean, all of a sudden, when this dedication became a time of worship, they were not about to fall down. That decision in their mind had already been made up. It was already clear to them that decision had been made. And remember the context in which these men had gone to school and had now served. And so this is 18 years from the time that they have been in Babylon. So they've been in Babylon for 18 years. That's a long time. There's plenty of time to be assimilated in many ways. They were not going to bow down. And remember how they had been trained. Nebuchadnezzar is very smart. You want to get the mind of a people What do you do? You take their young people, your age, you take their young people and you put them into classes and you instruct them in the ways you want them instructed for three years. You take away their language and you teach them this new language. You take away their culture and you teach them this new culture. You have them eat the food of your culture. You have them embrace the things of your culture. And you start to work on their minds so that they become one and subservient to your nation. This was 2,500 years ago. I mean, the things that you learn as young people have a huge influence on you. The things that professors say to you in classes have a huge influence upon you. And I can see young people and even their attitudes change over a period of four years in college. I see it all the time. I can see how they come in. I can see how they graduate. Some of the changes for good. Some of the changes not for good. I can see how they can pick up the attitudes of their professors. You say, well, the professor says things that I don't always accept it. But you'd be surprised how much a professor can have an influence. When I first came to Rice, students used to come to me. This was 17 years ago. They used to come to me and they used to say, Uh, You know, this professor so-and-so is always talking about how stupid Christians are. And I said, well, why don't you, you, you ask that professor to tell you how stupid I am? Tell them that I'm a Christian and I'm a vocal Christian about this and ask them how stupid I am. Well, the professors in that particular subject area who used to say that stopped saying it because nobody wanted to go toe to toe with me because I'd have met with them. Say, okay, tell me how stupid I am. And so they stopped saying it. Because there's huge influence that can come. And this is why we need believers in academics. We need believers to be there in academics to take a stand. Some of you are going to be called into academic positions. Some of you are going to be called into positions where you're professors. And you have to be there to take a stand. This is a very necessary role. So that young people can see that it's okay to be a believer in the God of Israel. That it's okay to be a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And to still be intelligent and be at the top of your field. And this is what he, he, he teaches us. He will take Jews, he will take believers, and he will set them in top positions. Just like he said, I will give you the ability to make money. He gives us the ability to be leaders in our field so that we can stand out and take a stand and have a position because we need to take a stand. And the decision was already made. 
the decision was already made in their hearts. Because remember, there are many people out there that are longing to entice you, that have no regard for your destiny. And this is why you make decisions now. Young women, there are young men who do not care about your destiny. But they only care about satisfying their own physical need at your expense. You make a decision now as to how far you will go and no further. And usually that is not very far. You make a decision now what you're going to do in your relationships between young men and young women. If you're getting interested in somebody, you make sure that they are a believer in Jesus Christ, number one, because you want to, well, I'm praying about whether God wants me to be with this person. Are they a believer? If they're not a believer, you don't even have to pray. It wasn't like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego said, let us have a time of prayer and see what God wants us to bow down to this idol so that we can keep our positions and continue to have influence. It wasn't a matter of prayer. It was already decided. It was already written what they should and shouldn't do. There are things you don't have to pray about at all because you got the Bible. How easy is that? You just do what it says and you'll be fine. So there are decisions that you make early on in relationships and you discuss this. And if the person that you're with isn't able to discuss this, then they have a problem. You don't want to be with them. You discuss how far you're going to go in your physical relationship together. You make a decision today. This is how far we will go and no further. And young man, it is up to you to take the lead and to honor this. And anything that you do which is going to cause you to want to go further than you'll be able to stop, you don't go that far. And I know young people that wouldn't even meet alone together. They would meet in public places, in coffee shops and things, because they didn't want to be in in an apartment alone together. You think, oh, well, can't handle that. Oh, yeah, you can't handle that. I know a whole lot of people who can't handle that. I can't handle that. I am very careful about being alone with any woman other than my wife. When a young woman walks into my office, the door stays open. I don't care if they're crying about their grade in organic chemistry. They're going to cry publicly. The door stays open. Because I don't like even the appearance of evil. So there are steps that we take. There are steps that Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego took. You say, well, they could... They could lay prostrate and just kind of go to sleep and just say, Lord, you understand what I'm under? No, they made a decision to stand up and not even look like they're doing it. You make decisions before you get in that situation. Because once you're in it, once the hormones take control, it is hard turning back and stopping. Difficult to do that. Very difficult to turn back once the hormones take control. You make decisions today of how you're going to be. And remember, some of you are being called to go into positions in academics where you can be an influence, where you can look out for other people. My job at the university is looking out for other believers to be there, to be a guide for them when they are under attack, to be able to encourage them. If a professor is attacking them, I'll call the professor and say, what is your problem with Christians? You must have a problem with me. Would you like to tell me 
how your career is so advanced beyond mine, so advanced that I'm stupid and you're not. You know, and you can stand in that place. You can stand in that position and that has a great influence upon young people and I know it because they write to me all the time how my position at the university has helped them to remain strong as a believer because they see you can be intelligent and be at the top of your field and be a believer. This is why you need to go into top positions and look out for others who are coming along, the other masses that are coming. This is part of our role as believers and what we're being instructed in this book. Let's pray.